Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 27 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Acts 27, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Man, it's so wonderful to see the building full, overflow full. It's a blessing to see what God's doing at Grace Baptist Church, isn't it? Amen. It's really good to be here with you all this morning. Um, I hope that you are looking forward to Thanksgiving and being with your families. I'm going to try and deal with a little bit of that today. But really be in prayer about your testimony, the way that you interact with your family. How many of you have last lost family members that you're going to be with people that aren't saved? All right. So remember, whether or not you get that extra helping of sweet potatoes or whatever, don't let that sour your spirit in such a way that you can't be a good testimony for the Lord. The Bible talks about the, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And one of the, the pieces of the armor is that you leave with your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? That you leave your house ready to give the gospel. And so as you interact with your families this week for the holiday, make sure that your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That you're going in there prepared to speak and to live and exemplify the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen? And then especially remember that on Black Friday. I don't want to see videos of, you, videos of you fighting with some little old lady over a TV or a crock pot, all right? It's really vital stuff. It's in the book. I think that you can find that in the Bible somewhere. Um, how many of you believe that truth exists? So we know that John 8, 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's, let's look at that passage real quick because I want, to see, want you to see something. So you probably have four fingers stuck in the Scriptures already trying to hold your place. But look at John chapter 8. This really is the foundation of everything that we do. John chapter 8, look at verse 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How many of you believe that verse? Amen. You believe that verse. Look at the verse before it. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, what's that next word? Then are ye my disciples indeed. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Indeed. So, we do believe that truth exists. Would you all agree with that? Yes. So, remember from our study we did not too long ago, if someone ever says to you, there is no such thing as truth, what should you say? Is that true? Isn't that fun? There's no such thing as truth. Is that true? Because if it's true that there's no such thing as truth, then truth exists. And so then no such thing as truth can't be true. If you'll go to your family get-together, and they'll say, well, that's true for you, but not for me. You have your truth, and I have my truth. What should you say? Oh, you all have forgotten? I'm so embarrassed. What are you supposed to say? Is that true for everyone? Remember, truth is something that is true for everyone in every place and every time. That's what truth is. Truth just is. Truth doesn't need you. Truth doesn't need me. Truth just is. And truth doesn't need me to agree with it. I need to agree with truth. And so if someone says it's true for you, but it's not true for me, then what you should say is, is that true for everyone? Because if it's not true for you, but it's true for me, is true for everyone, then it's not true for you, but it's true for me, can't be true. Because it's not true for everyone. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Anybody pull a muscle in your head yet? Are you doing okay? 
It's really important that we recognize that truth exists and we understand truth by beginning with the Word of God. It's just truth. You remember the Frank Turek thing? That whether or not you believe in truth says nothing about truth. So, remember the video that we showed? And he said, if you, so if I don't believe in gravity, do I then float away? I start floating away. Come back, come back. If you just believe in gravity, you'll come back. Is that what happens? No, no, no. My belief in gravity says nothing about gravity, but it says a lot about me. Right? So a person's belief in the truth says nothing about truth. Truth doesn't need your help. Truth doesn't need my help. Truth just is. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Truth just is. Now, are you all with me on this? You all together? Truth does exist. So let's say that out loud. Truth does exist. And we can know it through the Word of God. And the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So if someone doesn't believe the Bible, they're just a liar. Have we seen any of that in the past silly season that we've just been looking at? Right? Just craziness. And so we understand that truth exists. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians. I'll go to Acts. Let's do that one first. Acts 27. So remember what's going on in this passage. The Apostle Paul wants to go to Rome to preach the gospel. And so Luke is with him. Luke is writing the account. And the Apostle Paul had told the shipmaster what the weather was going to be and all of those things, and he didn't believe him. So now they're going to have a shipwreck. And so look at what the Bible says in verse 22, Acts 27 and verse 22. And now I exhort you, this is the Apostle Paul, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer. They're in a shipwreck. Be of good cheer. How many of you think that was received well? And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. The ship's going down. You're going to live. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Look at verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to believe you today. Lord, we do believe that truth exists, and we do believe that it comes from your word. Lord, help us to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's going on here is that the captain of the ship didn't believe God's man, went, away, went against what God said, and now he's going to end up with a shipwreck. How many of you know some families that begin... And they don't begin as God said, they don't obey God's word, and the family ends up in a shipwreck. You all know anything like that? You ever seen anything like that? So here's the question, do we believe God? So if you're here today and you're in the middle of some family trouble, you're married and you've got some family trouble and the husband and wife, they're having some struggles, or the kids, you're having some struggles with mom and dad. Here's the question, are you going to go ahead into a shipwreck or are you going to believe God? 
Now, how many of you believe that truth exists? See, I set you up. We got real quiet right there now. How many believe that truth exists? Amen. How many of you believe that what God says about the home is truth? Amen. Got a little quieter there. How many of you believe that what God says about the home is truth? Amen. Amen. So here's what we have to ask ourselves. Are we going to believe God? Are we going to believe God? Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 or chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I wonder how many crossouts y'all have in your Bible margins from me giving you the wrong passage next over the years. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Now look at this. Look at what this says. Which effectually worketh also in you that believe. In you that believe. Remember what the Apostle Paul said. The angel of the Lord had stood by him, had given him a message from God, and Paul said, I believe God. But what did it begin with? Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. What God says about us is good. We can be happy about it. What God says about us, about who we are, about who He is, about the home, all of it is good and ought to be cheerful. The only time it's not cheerful is when we don't want to do it. Right? So let's start over again. Ready? Does truth exist? Do you believe God? Do you believe what God says about the home? And so this is where it all becomes very important. There's a, there is a section of philosophy. It's called ontology, and it's the philosophy of being, the state of being. What is, and how do we know what is? And the Bible cares for that on God by Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. How does He exist? We don't know. He just is. That is God's state of being. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is timeless. He's ageless. He is all-powerful, He's all-knowing, He's all-loving, He's all-kind, He's all-just. That is His state of being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. That is the Godhead that we worship and who identifies what truth is. Remember what we said in our study on truth, that truth or a definition of truth is that which best describes reality. Right? So if I say to you, I'm 6'4", what you would need to say is, well, you need a new ruler. Right? Because it's not true that I'm 6'4", unless I'm going by a different group of, different uh, system of measurement than what is standard. That would not comport to reality. And there are self-defeating statements. Uh, My mother didn't have any children that lived. That's a self-defeating statement, right? My brother is an only child. That's, that's not a true statement. It's a self-defeating statement. I can't speak a word in English. That's a self-defeating statement. Do you see that? Now, this is where this becomes so, so important. If you say that you believe in truth and that you believe God's Word and then you violate what He says about the home, then can you really be believing in truth and believing God's Word? So here's what happens. It's like the man who built his house on the sand. 
Then the storm came and it blows it away, right? Then a man built his house on the rock and it could withstand the storm. What we have to decide is, are we going to build our homes on the rock, the solid rock of God's word, or are we going to be influenced by what the world says? We looked at this passage in the Sunday school hour, but go with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. All right, so let's just look at this passage for a minute and think about it. When the Bible says, Beware lest any man spoil you. Now, that's not like you do to your kids, and I do to my kids where we give them too much stuff and we spoil them. That's not what it's talking about. This is the older use of the word spoil, and that is when a conquering country would come into another country, they would defeat them by breaking down their walls, breaking down their defenses, going into the city and, listen, taking everything that's valuable and enslaving the people. That's what it means to spoil a city, to spoil a nation. And that's what Satan wants to do to your family. He wants to get to break down your defenses to break down your walls and get into your home and take the thing that is most important in your home, your children. That's what Satan wants to do. And so we have to make sure that we understand what God wants for our kids, what God wants for our home. And if we understand that, then we know how to stand against this philosophy. Now, what is this philosophy? Look at what it says. Beware lest any man spoil you through bad philosophy. Is that what it says? Now, there's some modern translations that will change this. It will say through, em- through uh, uh, false and empty philosophy. The only problem is there are no manuscripts anywhere, even their own manuscripts, that say that. They don't say it. It just says beware of philosophy. What is philosophy? Do you remember Pythagoras? He came up with this. He coined the term philosophy, and it just means a lover of wisdom. A lover of wisdom. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Keep your place in Colossians 2 because we're going to come back. I always say that too late, don't I? First Corinthians chapter one. And look what the Bible says in verse eighteen. First Corinthians one eighteen. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So when it says the preaching of the cross, preaching is declaring the truth boldly and demanding a response. All right, that's what preaching is. So what is the preaching of the cross? The preaching of the cross is that you and I are sinners. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. And then he was nailed to a cross to pay for our sin because he didn't have any sin. He paid for my sin. Then he he died on that cross. He was taken down from the cross. He was put into a borrowed tomb. He was in that tomb for three days and three nights. And then he rose from the dead, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. And one day, you're going to stand before that Jesus. And you're going to have to answer this question. Did you believe me or did you reject me? So my question to you is, have you received the free gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ has offered you? 
Have you believed what Jesus Christ says about your sin that it's bad enough to take you to hell? Do you believe that He is God and that He died and rose from the dead to pay for your sin? Do you believe that? And have you taken that sacrifice, have you taken that offering that He has made to you and received it and applied it to your account? You see, just believing in the death, burial, and resurrection isn't enough to save you. Somehow you have to have that applied to your account, and that happens by faith. For with the mouth, confession is made. With the heart, man believes. Have you done that? Do you know what that is? That's the preaching of the cross. And to many people, that's foolishness. You know, there are a lot of people that believe that salvation is in their church. So as long as they are in that church, they've been baptized in that church, and as long as the priest says that you're okay, then your salvation is okay. But if you violate something the priest says you're not supposed to do, that priest can set you outside of the church And since there's no salvation outside of the church, then you have to go to hell because your salvation is only in the church. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's only salvation in Jesus Christ. And you see, so it's very important. Those people believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. But have they believed that Jesus Christ alone is the only way to heaven? See the difference? Can my church take me to heaven? Or is it Jesus that takes me to heaven apart from the church? Dalton Robertson says there's more Baptists in Texas than will be in heaven. Why? Being a Baptist never took anybody to heaven. Getting saved took them to heaven, and then we all become Baptists. But anyway, it's really important that you see this. Then look what the Bible says. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, it is the power of God. What does it mean, saved? Well, I was lost, now I'm saved. I was dying. And now I'm saved. I was dying in my sins. And Jesus Christ has saved me from my sins. You're born again. That's wonderful. Saved. Then verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. That's what God thinks of the world's philosophy. So remember what philosophy is. It's a lover of wisdom. A philosopher is a lover of wisdom. Philosophy is a love of wisdom. And it's a worldly wisdom that affects all of us. Then look at what it says, the next verse. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So what is that saying? So for hundreds of years, starting about 500 B.C., The world had Greek philosophy, this love of wisdom, and by that wisdom, man could not know God. They couldn't know Him. So what did God do? He made that foolish, and He said, the preaching of the cross is how you're going to come to know who God really is. Amen? So what is that? That's the truth. How many of you believe that truth? You believe that truth. The problem is, so go back to Colossians. Go back to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, that's for the people in Colossae, and for them at where? Laodicea, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So what's going on here? So the Apostle Paul is preaching to the church at Laodicea. The church at Laodicea is just like modern Christianity. It's all about them. It's all about them. And our world has been influenced by worldly philosophy. So here's my question to you today. Do you believe what God says about the home? If you believe what God says about the home, would you raise your hand? You believe it. It's good for you. 
And you've got to understand that the wisdom of this world hates what the Bible says about the home. It hates it. So let's go look at what the Bible says about the home, and let's make sure that we agree with it. So here's what I'm going to say. This is, this is the first thing I want to say to you. You say, you've been talking for a long time. This is the first thing you're going to say? Well, yes. Be of good cheer. What God says about your home is good for you. Be of good cheer. What a blessing. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. We have taught through this many, many times. But this is the foundation of a good home right here. All right? So it's the foundation of the church, but it's also the foundation of the home because churches are made up of homes. And by the time we get to Ephesians 5, you can't tell whether he's talking about the church or the home. All right, so here's what God wants us to do. Uh, look at verse 21, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. If so be that ye have heard him, that's Christ, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, what, what is it that we're looking at? The truth is in Jesus. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is what? It's wonderful. It's lovely. It needs to be tolerated. It's diverse. It's interesting, isn't it? The former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the... Look at those two words. What are they? The what? Deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, we know that we're renewed by the word of God in our minds, according to Romans chapter 12. Now, look at verse 24. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So here's the problem. All of us have lived in this world and we have been influenced by the philosophy, by the thinking of this world. And the world hates what God says about the home. Would you all agree with that? The world hates what God says about the home. We have been influenced by it. So, young ladies, when you get married, what you have to make sure that you do is you take off the old man, the conversation that the world has given you about who you are and about marriage and your relationship to your husband. You've got to take that off. Young men, what the world has said that you are supposed to be, you have to take that off. Some of you have been married for a long time. And you've never taken off the old man and put on the new man. You've never renewed your mind about what the Bible says about not every home, but your home. It's really important that we get this. So then look what the Bible says that we want to be. Verse 24, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, how many of you believe, you honestly believe that God wants you to have a righteous and holy home? Amen? So what does that look like? Well, he gives us what it looks like. It's, it's not, you know, furniture. Here's what it says. Look at verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Okay, here's what a holy home looks like. Don't lie to each other. Don't lie to each other. When I do pre-marriage counseling and I go through this, I say, look, if she makes you something, she says, do you like it? If you hate it, tell the truth, or you're going to be eating it for the rest of your life. Don't lie. And if he tells you the truth, ladies, he's not destroying you. He just doesn't like that food. Amen? It's really important that you tell the truth. If he is doing something 
that really bothers you before you're married, you'd better tell him. And if he's not willing to change that, then maybe you don't marry the knucklehead. Ladies, how many of you have effectively changed your husbands? Yeah. This will be fun. How many of you have tried and failed? Would you raise your hands? Any of you? You've tried and failed? Look at this right down here. She's up here dancing, full of the Holy Ghost, me. You're not going to change him. You're not. All he needs is the love of a good woman and he'll do better. Wrong. Now, men, a bunch of you knuckleheads need to change, and you do that by submitting to the Holy Spirit, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. Amen? That's the way to do it because, ladies, you're not going to change him. And I promise you this, men, you're not going to change her by berating her, being ugly to her, dominating her, and especially getting physical. There's no place for that in a godly marriage. Amen? I mean, it's just silly. You're not supposed to do that. And ladies, you're not going to get him anywhere by nagging and berating and tearing him down. I often say this. A man, generally speaking, is more physically strong than his wife. And so if he abuses that, that's wrong. Taking his strength and using his strength against her is wrong. Would you all agree with that? Ladies, many of you, you're way better with your words than your husband is. And so if you take that strength and you use that against him to diminish him and demean him and tear him down, then that is just as wrong as him hitting you. You demeaning him with your words because that's your area of strength and you're abusing him with that. How many of you think that our world agrees with that statement? It is so true, though. The Bible talks about how a wise woman will build up her house, not tear it down with her hands. It's very important. And so when we understand that we just need to tell the truth, that's the foundation of it. Be honest. Be godly. Be holy. Speak the truth. Don't lie. Um, Then, one one of the favorite lies is, is this. Is that a new dress? Oh, I've had this forever. It's been hanging in the closet, you know, but it's new. Yeah, y'all ladies do that. I know you do. Then look at what it says, verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So what the Bible is saying here is that 12 hours is long enough to be mad. Get over it. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So imagine you're a family of four and your kids come home from school and there's five place settings there at the table and the kids say to mom, Mom, who's this for? Oh, that's for Satan. We've invited him over for dinner. Look at the next verse. Neither give place to the devil. So how do you give place to the devil in your home? Be angry. Just be angry. How many of you know a home where one or both of the husband or wife are just angry all the time? Isn't that a great place to be? Don't you just love being a part of that family? No. No. Just stop being mad. But you don't know what he did. I probably do. I've probably done it. It's, it's really important that we get this. We're all just people living together, husbands and wives. And we're going to do things that make our spouses mad. Now, when you really love that person, then you try to diminish those. An example that I use is we lived in Stillwater, and she had a white sink, and I would dump my coffee in the sink and not rinse it. 
And so finally she came to me, will you please not do that? It was making her mad because she was having to bleach the sink and clean it. Because like an idiot, I didn't understand that coffee's going to stay in the white sink. Okay, how many of you think I should have known that without being told? Do you think that I should have known that? Now you know what it's like being married to me. I am, I am, I have domestic blindness. It's true. I confess. My name's Jim. I have domestic blindness. And so what I've tried to do for the last 20, so that's 25 years ago. It'll be, yeah, that's 25 years ago. I try not to do that. If I dump the coffee in the sink, I try and rinse it out. Why do I do that? Because I don't want her to be mad at me. You ought to see it. You don't want that either. I don't want her to be mad at me. Are you with me? Simple things like that. But if I happen to make the mistake and do it again, it's her responsibility not to get angry. That's the hard part, isn't it? I've told you a thousand times. And I've told you a million times not to exaggerate. (laughs) It's really important in living together. There are some things that you're just going to have to get over. Are you all with me on this? You're just going to have to get over it. Men, there'll be things that she does that just drive you crazy. Welcome to marriage. You chose her. You chose her. And you committed before God to love her and accept her and forgive her and care for her and cherish her. Cherishing her even means cherishing those things that drive you crazy. And it's your responsibility, man, not to be angry and not to live in anger. Then look at what the text says. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. A good home is a working home. And men, you ought to set an example for your children that you're going to provide for them, that you're going to work hard. And boy, am I preaching to the choir at Grace Baptist Church? I mean, you guys, this is a great group of people here. Um, So it's really important that you do that. But remember, a godly home is a giving home. The reason that God gives you a job is to provide for your family, but also to provide for His work. And so you work to provide for your home and to be able to give. So a godly home is a giving home. And it's really important that you do that. That's holy. Then look at what it says. And I'll say this, let him that stole steal no more. That's what what the Bible thinks about a man not working. Now, if you're physically incapable of working, that's not what it's talking about. This is talking about people who just don't work. They don't want to work. The biblical position, and we get them, they come to the church all the time. Will you pay my electric bill? I like to say, will you pay mine? Why do you think it's the church's responsibility to pay your electric bill? Get a job. Dead man can get a job in Sydney. Amen? It's really important. We have a culture. There's probably somebody here that was offended that I just said that. Because we have a welfare mentality that it's the government's job, that it's everyone's job to provide for somebody that doesn't want to work. I'm out. I believe what God says. Don't steal. Don't steal. All right? So that that was the angry part of the sermon today. So look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, again, often we think of that as swearing. And now I'm not condoning swearing. But what this is talking about is language that tears down. Now, how many of you, let's be honest, how many of you have heard language in your own home that tears down and doesn't build up? Would you raise your hands? So what we have to do, Jesus said, stop it. We have to not do that. So what is the difference? Look at what it says. 
Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. You always burn my supper. And immediately the ladies say, I can. Right? Ladies, how many of you that's kind of the something like that is immediately what comes to your mind when you hear something like that? The best story like that was when uh, Laura had made me potato salad when we first got married. And I said, this is really good. You ought to call my mom and get her recipe. It was years before she made potato salad again. <laughs> that was a really dumb thing to say. I was a moron when we got married. I mean, just unbelievable the stupid stuff I did. <laughs> Somebody said it's making me sad. <laughs> the teenagers, it's really funny. <laughs> oh, it ought to, man. Don't be like me on that stuff. But here's the, this is... This is where I needed to learn this so much. Speak to them the way you want them to become. You know? Just build up. Build up. The illustration that I use, like for Jacob, when he was little. You know, have you ever heard someone say to their children, you're so stupid? Have you ever heard somebody say something like that? I've, I've been in Walmart and I've watched parents berate their children. It, doesn't that bother you when you see that? You'll never amount to anything. Well, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy in many of these cases. And so when all children, the Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Every child does foolish things and thoughtless things. Would you all agree with that? So how do, you, how do you deal with it? The way that we dealt with it with Jake was God gave you a better mind than that. You didn't, you didn't use the mind God gave you when you did that. Do you see the difference? Speak to them the way you want them to become. Edify them. Build them up. Minister grace to the hearers. Imagine if your home was a home of grace. A home where the language is, is positive. Um, we've, we've just never had a home where we're screaming at our kids. We, we just, you don't have to do that. You deal with it with discipline. Use calm discipline. And when the children don't obey, when they understand that when they disobey, as a small child, three years old, the child, when the child disobeys, they know that there is a painful consequence to disobedience. There doesn't have to be anger involved. There doesn't have to be yelling involved. And we're going to see in, the, in a minute what the Bible says about that. It can be handled properly. And all children need correction and discipline, even yours. All children need correction and discipline, but it must be done to edify, not because it drives you crazy. Now, I will say this. There were things in our home that I just didn't want to happen. I can't think. Like, I'll give you an example. Buffets. You ever go through a buffet? Now, I don't like that because I'm always afraid some dude with age just sneezed in my food right in front of me. So I'm not big on buffets. But when you're, when you're going through that and you see parents with a two-year-old, oh, do you want marshmallows? Do you want corn? Do you? Just feed the kid. Are you with me on that? You all with me on that? I don't care what little you know, Roger wants. He's not, we're going to feed him. So there were things like that in our homes. We didn't like our children to squeal, that screaming that kids do. I don't like that. So we said no. We showed disapproval when they did that. And you know what happened? They stopped. Why? Because I don't, like, I don't enjoy my ears bleeding at dinner. I don't like that. And so we didn't do it. But it wasn't in anger. It was so that we could have a peaceful home. And here's, here's the result of it. What people think is if you have a home where the children are required to obey and to be in control, 
that it's a very stern, austere, you know, it, it's, it's like everybody's a Quaker, you know, and, and they're just sitting there. We laugh nonstop. We have so much fun in our house, and we always have. Why? Because the stuff that is annoying was disciplined. It was punished. The good behavior is rewarded. It's amazing how that works. Now, I know I'm being sarcastic on that, but people have this idea that if you have a strict disciplinary home that the joy is gone. No, no, no. When you have a strict disciplined home, the joy can flourish. There's room for the joy to flourish. And that's what happens when as you discipline, as you speak to your husband, as you speak to your wife, as you speak to your children, you edify, you build them up. That provides a place of joy and grace in the home. Then look at what it says. Verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So here's the question that I'd like to ask you. Does your home please the Holy Spirit or grieve the Holy Spirit? Does your home please the Holy Spirit or grieve the Holy Spirit? Isn't that a good question? How many think that's a good question to ask yourself? And so maybe you ought to sit down and think through everything that happens in your home. Does this please the Lord or would this displease the Lord? Now, I love the way the Bible always clears up when there is confusion. So here, some people think that if you grieve the Holy Spirit, you'll lose your salvation. But look at the whole verse. And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. You cannot grieve the Holy Spirit enough to lose your salvation. Isn't that a blessing? So you're free, but don't grieve Him. Please Him. What grieves Him? Look at the next verse. And let all bitterness... How many of you know bitter people? I want to ask you if you are a bitter person. If you are a bitter person, stop it. Give it to the Lord. Ask the Lord to give you joy. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. Clamor is the noise that comes from wrath and anger. So look at it again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So here's my question for you. Does that describe your home? Does it describe your home? Now notice, we haven't gone to the passages that talk about husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands, children obey your parents. Let's just take a test. How many of you know that husbands are supposed to love their wives? Ladies, how many of you know that you're supposed to submit to your husbands? How many of you know that? Some of you didn't raise your hand. That's another sermon. I'll start over. How many of you children know you're supposed to obey your parents? How many of you believe all that stuff's true? You believe it's all true and it's good for you. Then do those things. Do those things. And if you want to have a strong home, here's what you need to do. Look at verse 25. Put away lying. Verse 26. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. So a working home and a giving home. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. How about that? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you need to change the way that you talk? How many of you need to change the way that you speak to your children, to your husband, to your wife? Then look at what it says. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Praise God, we're sealed. And then the descriptor. How do you, how do you put off the old man? Putting off the old man is this, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then just be kind. This is a conversation that Laura and I have had so many times. So we, 
we, you know, just get done. We never fight. <laughs> so when we get done with the fight, <laughs> this happens. So what can I do to make this better? Just be kind. Can you imagine that she'd have to tell me to be kind? Can you imagine that? Just be kind. Do you realize what would happen in our homes if we were just kind to each other? You young people, kind to your brothers and sisters. You know, that's okay. It's okay. You don't have to hate them. It's okay. Just be kind. And be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. I think that there might be marriages in this room where the tender-heartedness is gone, that the bitterness has hardened the heart. Put that away. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. How many of you, Christ has forgiven you? Well, then we're supposed to forgive. Let's just forgive. Let's have strong families. Let's have strong homes. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. How many of you believe truth exists? How many of you believe that truth is in the Word of God? How many of you believe God? How many of you believe God for your home? Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word.